Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including eBooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hi, this is Rebecca Buchanan, host of New Books Network, New Books and Popular Culture. And today I'm here with Russ Besley, Mike Dines, Gordes, and Paula Guerra, who are the um, editors of The Punk Reader and uh, a number of books on punk, a number of volumes on punk, which we can talk a little bit more about today. So thanks for being here with me. So you have a number of volumes, edited volumes on punk and punk scholarship. So we could maybe start by talking a little bit about how these volumes came to be, what um, you were trying to do and how you started putting together these punk readers and um, texts on punk. It started in my front room, Mike, didn't it? Yeah. um, We've we've got to remember that there are, we are kind of the series editors of, of global punk um, with intellect. And underneath that umbrella, we have a, um, a couple of, we, we have a number of punk readers. So we have three punk readers, two that are already out and one that is on the verge of coming out in the mid- middle of December. And beyond that, we have another four books, which includes Punk Low Americas, Punk Pedagogies. There's a really good book by Simon Strange on punk and art and also one by marie scov which is again on on art school and punk so the the four of us are kind of um global series editors and underneath that um we're we're also punk um we're we're also editors of punk reader and like gold said it kind of started off the punk scholars network kind of started off in his front room when um we, we got together to have a chat and from the Punk Scholars Network, there came this idea about being a Punk Scholars Network press. And I remember the, the the meeting, the Punk Scholars meeting that we had about the press. And the idea said, look, you know, why don't we, we have this imprint? And from there, Russ said, look, why don't I take this idea over to Intellect? Because Russ is, is editor of Punk and Post Punk, um, the journal. And... Russ then took the idea to intellect. Intellect really liked it. And from there, he started to negotiate this kind of contract to create what, what we, we now call as the Global Punk series. So it starts, I think it starts out with the, the, the two separate things, the Punk Scholars Network. That was uh, something that Gould and, and Mike came up with in 2012, I think, as originally, how do we build us a network um, of uh, support, a support network for people who study punk? And that was the that was the original idea. How do we build a, a peer review process, uh, a, a kind of network that supports each other in this field, this emerging field? Uh, and then about five years, five or six years later, this kind of led to this idea of a book imprint, didn't it, Mike? And uh, and you started. It started with the Punk Reader, which we're going to talk about, and then uh, that moved into a second and third volume of the Punk Reader. Uh, the second one's out. The third one's on the, just coming out soon. Uh, and then it's extended from there to a global punk book series, which is which includes monographs and other titles that are all uh, under the heading. So they're not necessarily about it's global punk in a in a in a, in a broad sense. So it's the world of punk, 
so it includes histories. Uh, so I think Mike came up with the idea of punk reader, didn't you, as, as to what it was, that would be? It was definitely Mike who came to me with it um, and said something around, um, because the majority of the literature then, and I mean, this, we're talking nearly 10 years ago, seemed to be concerned re- predominantly with a lot of historical aspects around the punk scene or stuff that was kind of dragging itself, kicking and screaming into the 90s. And we weren't seeing the sort of material around what was going off presently or reflected in our lives. I mean, that was part of Punk Scholars Network as well, to bring things into contemporary views about ageing, about different genders and identities and all that kind of stuff. And um, about what people are doing, ageing in the punk scene, etc., and what's going off, not just in the UK, America and Europe, but across the world. And me and Mike started it off with a brainstorm, <laughs> bad word, <laughs> thinking about where we could go with this uh, in my office in Leicester. And um, that's where I remember it starting. And uh, it took a lot of uh, effort, <laughs> shall we say, to get the first edition together in much more of a DIY way. We were both stressed out, me and Mike as original editors, but then we, I said, I can't cope with this. Let's get somebody else involved. And Mike went, I know the person, Paula, because we got involved with Paula with Kismith, and that was a brilliant move on Mike's part. And that's what happened, really, is that we moved it into that, and then it, it kind of gets kicked around for a few, <laughs> a couple of years, and it gradually, by 2018, becomes the first volume. Of the of the punk um, reader, and we were really really chuffed with it because it felt like the, a lot of the records and stuff that were made it felt very similar to that. That it was something that was very punk in its aesthetic and in its uh, approach. But there were only thirty or something copies. I can't remember how many. <laughs> so it was an instantly bought in with that. Michael. I was going to say one thing that I really appreciated. So I have the punk reader and the trans global punk scenes. Well, there's a couple of things that I, and you all highlighted some of them is that there is this often in punk. It's like, let's talk about the U S and let's talk about great Britain and that's it. And those are the only places that punk happened and punk only happened in the seventies. Right. Uh, and, and, and which is, we all know is not true. So I really appreciated um, that thinking about what's going on right now and also that punk can exist in countries that don't necessarily speak English, right? <laughs> it, it also helped as well that um, I mean, my, my background was um, in communication studies and I was fortunate enough to be told by the great John Tomlinson and his module Cultural Imperialism. And I mean, that book in the early 90s really rocked the um, media and cultural studies field because it um, it kind of questioned a lot of the kind of existing models around globalization that the first world tends to dictate everything and they follow suit and march to that tune and it ignores difference and it ignores a lot of non-speaking non-english speaking countries and scenes and really, a lot of the kind of philosophy in that first, or the philosophy behind that first chapter, is informed really by a lot of globalization theory and a lot of kind of John Tomlinson's spirit in that sense of being able to look at things with an even view rather than privileging the UK or, or the. Um, or the America. I'm not saying they aren't important scenes. They are, but we need some kind of parity. And that was really what happened is all of that kind of material informs and brings a much more contemporary twist to it. And with Russ's design, <laughs> it really does kind of, not only in terms of a the standard kind of pros of media and communication or interdisciplinary research, the academic tone. There's also a really vibrant visual quality to those books. The first two volumes, I haven't seen the third. I'm not involved with that, but um, that was it really. The, I think there was a Stephen Duncombe wrote a book um, on the kind of politics um, of scenes, but really kind of, 
almost said that um, non-Western punk scenes were really just imitating the West, and that's not the case, as we see in in many of these. Uh, well, I think weird... that's, that's an important point. I think the I came originally. So these three guys originally came up, uh, put together the first punk reader as a kind of DIY project. What we said about the short run was it was originally published by a Paula in the University of uh, Porto in Portugal. Yep. As a very short run, and then I took it to Intellect. I, I came in as designer. I came in as to help out as uh, designer on this, and then help with some of the editing and structuring. Um, then took it to Intellect. Uh, they took it on as a, as a publisher, and I'm I'm the, the lead editor on the, the Punk and Post Punk Journal. So I'm a, I'm an editor and a writer and a designer. Um, and they said, well, we can go with this, and we could turn this into a series. So that was the original idea. Mm-hmm. So we put the first book together. Um, the second book, we then did a call for papers and said, well, we want to con- continue this theme and sort of make it more global. Where can we reach out beyond what, where the, fir- the territories of that first book? And what I think re- I really appreciated with the second book was that we were moving into areas that were unexplored and we were looking at how locality um, helps form the kind of the entire ethos and uh, an aesthetic of local punk. So it's not just, it's not, a, as God calls it, it's not a copying of, Punk's, not just punk style, and then it's transposing to to Malaysia or Indonesia or wherever. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a very much a homegrown local aspect to it that responds to local politics, local culture, and local history. So I really like there's a there's a South White African Afrikaans South African uh, chapter in in book two, which I think is fascinating because it's just oh, such an untold story. What happens post apartheid? <laughs> Why is it post apartheid with the white South African um, punk scene? Where, where does it go, and what happens to those those people? What's their identity after that? Um, yeah. And that I thought was a really fascinating. That it's bringing a very alternative vision of of, of the historical context and local context uh, to play in the, in that punk scene. And then when we did the, the call for papers on the second for the second book, we ended up being inundated. There's so many offers of papers that we ended up separating and saying well we'll do we'll do two books we'll do a second and third book and the third book which paul has already uh, allowed alluded to um is more thematic so the first two books are geographic and then the third book is much more about um uh, contemporary issues so the third book is much more about things like the impact of um of feminism or anti-racism in the initiatives or the internet and new technologies Digital technologies, the kind of merging of, of global scenes uh, through uh, through the internet, all those kind of debates come into the third book. So it's much less specifically regional. The third book is much more about contemporary issues, and that's coming out. Well, it should be out in the next month and a half, hopefully. Yeah, queer theory, yeah. and there's, there's trans punk in there. Gareth shot. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. There's another one which uh, we were offered by uh, three other editors. Well, we didn't edit this one. Um, it was three editors in in uh, in North and South America. So it was Olga Rodriguez Lower, Rodrigo Cujano, and Shane Green, uh, and that's a book called Punk Las Americas Edition, uh, which is largely about South America, but it's got some North American content, and it's a mixture of academic texts with some um, historical documentation, some photography, some artworks, some poetry. Um, that's coming out at the same time as the next book. That's coming out in about six to eight weeks' time, uh, which is that's really looking at the, the Americas, North and South. Yeah, that's a great book, isn't it, Russ? And I know that it, yeah. you, you designed that as well, and there, it, there is a great kind of mixture of academic articles. There's some great photos in there from Amina Cruz, for instance, looking yeah. at trans punk in Mexico. Um, there's, yeah. Uh, yeah. The the punk the punk reader so so what we've got here we've got the the punk reader one which was a kind of a an idea that, that I came up with to to try to track post two thousand global punk which funnily enough also included Britain and the US so in yeah. in the punk reader one we've actually got one on power violence in in the US that's one of my favourites actually <laughs> no. um, the second one was. And the third one, as, as Russ has said, we put another call for papers out and we got so many back that we were able to split these these books into two. So one, again, became geographical and the other was looking at kind of, yeah, these, these concepts. And then uh, did you want to talk about pigs, Paula? We were talking about uh, the fourth one. Um, 
And it was kind of what we do in these books is that what's really important to emphasize here is that when we as academics um, publish books, they are usually published hardback and they are usually published for £90 a pop or even more expensive. But because we do everything in-house, which mainly means that Russ does a lot of the, the designing and a lot of the hours in there, we, we get the books together. I, I know that Gauls did the um, index. The index for the second book. I did the index for the third book. And we have different people that are leading on the books. And for the fourth one was going to be um, a pigs, which is, is it Portugal, Italy, Greece, and and Spain, Spain which are kind of seen as derogatory kind of um, economies within the EU. Yeah, so the idea for, from now was, I was talking to Russ about this, was, but right, we've got these these ideas of a global, we've got these ideas of concepts, um, and then Paula said, look, what about pigs? And then I think from there on in, I know Russ and I were talking about um, kind of Southeast Asia kind of book to try to cover that that geographical location, etc. And Las Americas has kind of covered the South American kind of punk because that even deals with um, punks in Brazil from the, from the mid-1970s onwards. So... Um, we were looking at other kind of geographical locations, really. And we have yet to sort out the pigs um, yeah. for papers. And that's really down to me, and I'm really sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so we started with yeah, we we started with the Punk Reader, and uh, and it expanded, and it's become three books in the Punk Reader series if you like and then the, the last americas which is a very similar one but it's but it's uh, edited by uh, uh, three other editors and then beyond that uh, talking to our publisher intellect we said well they said well this this theme global punk can it be can it include monographs can it include historical um uh, books um so we've expanded from there so we've got another four or five titles coming up we've got one uh, on punk pedagogies which is an edited volume um, which is relationship between punk and uh, and teaching uh, at all levels. Um, we've got one on European art in the nineteen seventies and punk, which came from a by Marie Skov, which was uh, who's a Danish um, uh, historian, uh, art historian, um, looking at punk in relation to art uh, art histories in the seventies in, in Europe. Uh, one by Simon Strange, who looks at uh, art school education, uh, particularly in the UK in the nineteen seventies, and how that kind of inspired. And uh, a number of punk and post-punk artists, or punk, punk and post-punk musicians. Uh, there's one by Ian Trowell, which is the history of Throbbing Gristle, the um, underground art concept band, post-punk band. Um, what's the other one, Mike? Ed, um, I'm working with Ed Avery and Matt Grimes on pulling together a book on punk methodologies, um, in particular using Western philosophy as a means and other kind of marginal kind of uh, methodologies not yet used oh, within popular music. The, the other one that's a great crossover as well is Barry Phillips. It's Barry's book is... Um, Have you not mentioned the, the Tito's book? No, In, oh, uh, right. In Search of Tito's Punks. Yeah. This is um, this is a, a quick story. Barry was, uh, as a teenager, was in a, uh, in a punk band in Gloucester, uh, in Gloucestershire, in the west country of, uh, of England, and they made a, a, made a record uh, which disappeared uh, at, at the time. Uh, 30, 35 years later, he discovered, uh, someone contacted him, discovered it was a big hit in Yugoslavia. Yeah. And a lot of the Yugoslavian bands covered this song and see this song as their kind of anarchy in the UK. So he did a tra- he travelled to Yugoslavia and travelled around well, the former Yugoslavia, so Serbia, Croatia. Um, and he wrote a travelogue. It's, it's, a, it's a kind of travel journal, diary, travelogue, um, history of Yugoslavia, history of the war in Yugoslavia, and it's, it's running alongside the, the, the war crimes trials because uh, he, he at the time lived in The Hague in Holland. So it was kind of running alongside what was going on there um, and interviewing musicians and, uh, and label owners and uh, DIY artists in, in the former Yugoslavia. And that's a fascinating book because it's such a crossover. It's a book that is, is, a, is a fascinating book for, a, for the everyday reader. It's not, a, it's not an academic book, but we're publishing it under the Global Punk series because I think that's something that, Mike alluded to what we've tried to do here is try to make these books 
open in, in the spirit of the punk scholars network we don't want our books to be dusty dry and academic and, res- and reserved within library bookshelves where, and costing 100 pounds or 150 dollars per copy we 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 do a lot of DIY input into this and partly I do a lot of work on this as designer um, and I said to when we negotiated the contract with with the publishers that what if we don't take any royalties what if we do they said well the big cost is the production I said well, what if we do the production so they pay for the printing but and the distribution but we'll take in hand all that pre-production yeah and they can proof checking and the peer reviewing what if we did all that uh, and didn't pay anyone and didn't pay ourselves yeah. um, would that reduce the cost so we managed to get these books published at a at a very cheap price in paperback which is unusual in an academic book market but we were trying to sort of uh, to 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 cross that bridge so that these these books became more accessible to uh, to a wider readership in terms of cost and economics but also in terms of their content that they're not too dry they're not too they're not preserved to academic texts they're, they're serious histories and serious studies but they're but they we're trying to make them cross over into a more open readership. Yeah, because like you say with Barry, Barry was in this this band called D Mob, and in in eighty one they they bought this this song out called No Room for You, and he said you know kind of thirty years later he got a, a message from someone in kind of Yugoslavia and they said you know your 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 song is huge in the Balkans, and um they, they gave him a link and he, there he was went onto YouTube and there were these kind of Baltic musicians. Um, kind of playing his his track, and he was the bass player at the time. Yeah. And as he talks about in the book, he says that you know it, I don't think he'd ever been to these countries before. He hadn't. And, so, and then he said, from there on in, he just became fascinated with the way in which there were commonalities across the globe through punk. And so, uh, so in around 2017-ish, he he went for a kind of a road trip across Croatia, Slovenia, and Serbia. And that's where a lot of this kind of this this content comes from this book. And the great thing about it is, is it is for the everyday reader. And that kind of Barry Phillips book links in really nicely. In fact, we haven't said much about the Punk Pedagogies book, which I think we should go back to in yeah. a bit as well, because Laura and Francis put quite good work into that. But Simon Strange's book um, called Blank Canvas, which is looking at the kind of art school aesthetic. Um, and the influences between art school and punk is again, it's very much like Barry's book. It's, it's a very easy kind of read. It's academic, it's intelligent. But on the other hand, it is, an, it is a good read. It's a conversational read. And I think for, for me, as an editor also of Itchy Monkey Press, I think it's really important that these books are accessible. And as Russ has said, you know, we don't take any royalties, so we're able to, the work that we put in, they're able to come out quite cheap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. why I've got ramen for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> but one thing I do love is, I mean, I think punk often is this focus on music, right, when we talk about the U.S., but I, I think, like, to me, it's often secondary to that like the DIY aesthetic which you're really presenting and talking about here and those political and cultural connections and what being part of punk can bring you in being part of this larger scene and space and finding Mm -hmm. that and so I think like your your series right your readers really do that and, and look at that and look at the importance of that as a scene and not just a music scene but as a larger, like, a scene identity space, right? Yeah. I think a good I'm, example I'm of that to... would, be, um, would be that punk pedagogies and the first chapter in there from Minerva Campion. And she, she's linking music and resistance. And she, she does her groundwork um, in Colombia. So she goes into Medellin in, in Colombia and she visits these key spaces in, in kind of the hip-hop scene and the punk scene and then looks to see how students and punks and, and those, those in those, those spaces are using punk as a kind of resistance against the kind of um, struggle in, in what's going on in, in that city. And it's a really, good, a really good chapter, and that's a perfect example of, of the way in which, yeah, the Punk Scholars have kind of, and an our global series is moving beyond that, that mix as punk as music. The recent, um, both the punk readers, 
that I've been involved in and also a lot of punk scholarship in the last 20 years has been the kind of rise of ethnography, um, the rise of not having academics looking at a distance and, and assuming, but people speaking from within these cultures who've lived their lives from that, those views and, and, and that um, understanding of punk, which gives a lot more authenticity to what's being written about um, about competing punk cultures and, and contemporary punk scenes. And with the advent of the internet and uh, it, we've got we've got ourselves into a whole new uh, ball game and I think that um, with um, these news this new book series we're right on the money in terms of producing a lot of incisive multidisciplinary and interdisciplinary scholarship which I think is sadly lacking in a lot of other disciplines I think we're doing really good with this just me kind of adding that but um yeah and just to add of course with ethnography um the the marie scoff's book um which also gives mm. punk art and history which um russ and i are, are currently taking to intellect and to getting it hopefully through its first copy edit does that so so marie scoff who looks at the again that history that link between art school and punk um not only does ethnography and in um you know with danish punks um kind of you know since the early 1980s but she also talks to people like genesis Piorich and john savage and mark miller those kind of artists so you you have got in terms of the global punk series quite a good spread of of monographs that are coming up and also edited collections and also, as you know, you talk about the art scene and putting this together as a person who loves zines and studies zines and that like the I do. I love the the layout of the books. Right. I love it. There, there very much is this feel like I think you need the image. I think you need to see those flyers. I think you need to see the yeah. poster. Right. And so I really appreciated that about both of the both of the readers I have. Right. That I have that that it's all there. Right. It's not just like you're talking about this just dry academic text. But we're we get to see the images. We get to see some of the ephemera from the scenes. And I really appreciate that. I think one of the things with that, when we did the first uh, volume, me and Russ were particularly keen on this because rabid record collectors and zine collectors and producers of art, he had me going, right, Mexican punk gourds, where do we go for that? I go, right, okay. Oh, yeah, I've got a new record by the Inservables. And we go and dig that out and scan it. And that got a real kind of, rather than a record that had a pressing of 200, and all of a sudden we've got this record going, connecting with those kind of ideas of the scene, with its visual content. Punk is not just music. It's a set of ethics, set of ideas, and a set of um, design protocols that are often um, autodidactive or produced by people who've got no design skills, but produce some really amazing stuff. And I think that's what that book, um, the first book, especially um, captured, especially with Andy Morgan's front cover, um, because he was he designs a lot of book for a lot of bands like Paranoid and um, Stray Bullet and Endless Grinning Skulls, all lots of bands and Blind and his new band Blind Eye, and that really connected with people who would do this stuff daily with what we do as academics, and uh. This has continued now into the kind of general aesthetic of the new book series, which has got this kind of uniformity, yet originality to it, which is down to Russ again. Brilliant. It has. I think, I think the, the idea of, I really appreciate, Rebecca, what you're say about, saying there. About, yeah, it's nice to get an acknowledgement for the design sometimes. Um, but, um, yeah, I'm, I'm so used to academic books that, as you say, are, are re- literally just textbooks, and then they might put a postage stamp size image in there and say, oh, see, figure... 4.2 and I said well I, I want to I want to celebrate these things I want to I want to be able to talk about these things visually I want them to sit there right across the page so that you can so they're in your face so you can feel there's a direct correlation between what I'm reading about and what I'm looking at and I balance those two because I'm a, I'm a graphic designer and I'm a writer so I, I tend to do both those things side by side rather than treat one as superior to the other I guess 
Um, and that was what we were trying to do with the book. But at the same time, didn't want to go down a kind of a stereotypical punk route. The books are, you know, there's there's a sophistication to them as well as a, as an elegance to them as well with as the blackmail writing or whatever. Yeah. Or the kind yeah. of you know the military crass style. You know the. It would be too easy to do stencils and black letter and uh, and, yeah. and skulls and everything else. It, it, I wanted it to be sophisticated yet ugly <laughs> at the same time. That's what I'm looking for. It becomes a cliche, doesn't it, when you when you have those kind of things? And uh, I think we've you know we've we've tried to kind of keep it, keep pace with what is going on within competing scenes and reflect that, um, which I think has been done quite well. It's been done. You know, blowing our own trumpet, but really well. You yeah. know, that, that's because it's becoming from the inside. All of us do this and live it, and that shows. And of course, we have to mention as well that Russ designs all the stuff for the PSN conferences. Yeah, so we're on our eighth PSN conference at the moment. Um, Russ has just um, created the poster for that, and and so there is a kind of uh, there's a consistency all the way through that links in with both the punk readers. And what we see here is a subtlety as well, because Russ also designed Las Americas, Punk Las Americas, which is very similar in style to the punk reader, but just a little bit different. Yeah. And so you've got that kind of, that, that difference. What, what books are you going to, out of the new ones coming up, Russ, which are you, I know you're going to be looking at um, Barry Phillips, aren't you? I'm going to design in Tito's Punks, and I'll design Simon Strange's art school one. I think I'm Marie Scobb's art, art in the 1970s. I'm not sure of the others yet, which ones I'm doing. I'm, I'm starting to get um, breathed upon. I'll try, try, try to find the right phrase, but at work, I'm starting to get questions at work and say, well, what are you spending all your time doing? Well, I'm designing books for free um, for, 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 um, for, for, for this publisher and for this, this, pub, this book series. Uh, so I'm spending an awful lot of time, including work time, and a lot of my own time, but including work time. Saying, oh, this is this is my uh, yeah, this is part of my research, and uh, and it kind of is. Uh, and at the same time, the, uh, the the great and the good at the university are saying, "Well, are we sh- are you sure we're paying for your time to do this?" Um, what is the what is the public value of this? <laughs> you've, got, you've got to remember that Russ is also an editor on the Punk Reader. As yeah. well as designer. So what yeah. happens is that when Punk Reader, like for instance Punk Reader Three, it goes through three proofs before we can actually publish. Yeah. So going back to that, um, take care. Bye. Bye. You know, Russ is a is an editor as well as a designer, and so it takes a hell of a lot of time to get something like Punk Reader out in its in its form because what happens yeah, yeah there, there are three proofs going on here and then russ has to change and have changes to all three proofs and so he goes through the copy edit stage and the proofing stage with us as well and i know with the punk reader too russ we ended up zooming didn't we for hours trying yeah. to find web links and just trying to sort out the, the last minute changes on the book and of course, this is a lot of work that's happening outside our usual point, you know, our work. I think it comes back to that thing. Is that, yeah, they, they, a lot of this is work that academics, academic writers or writers uh, in general don't see. It's a lot of this is the is the the production which the publisher would would normally take control of, and then the publisher then charges for that. So that's why the books end up costing so much they do because there's usually half a dozen people involved in that chain. Uh, that do that work, but then it comes back with us to two of us involved in that chain doing that work, yeah, yeah. Uh, and not even getting paid for it. So, uh, so I think that's that's the difference. Is that you know a lot of those things we would normally we wouldn't even be aware of that they they need to trace a, a web link or something to you know to get something live, and we we're not even aware of it. Now we are. We, we're right at the at the edge of everything, all conf- like complete control. To uh, to paraphrase the clash, yeah, and, yeah. and then you might get like what happened with Las Americas is that um, Russ designed the, the cover, obviously sent the cover off, and one of the editors said, "Hang on, you've um, there was a name spelt wrong or something." Yeah. I mean, it wasn't wasn't Russ's fault. It's just one of those things, and and this is the last minute, the last minute yeah. change, and he's like, "Oh yeah, I better do that then," <laughs> and then it goes off to the publisher. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. 
Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. I think one of the, one of the um, points as well that Russ picked up on when you said we get often that this, what we call free labor that is thrown in or, you know, this kind of labor of love with these books isn't recognized by our institutions. And um, it's like we don't often get recognized for the kind of achievements that are made. I'm speaking personally here, you know, with my institution is that, oh, yeah, there's another book. But they don't think, oh, you did the index or oh, you wrote, you did this or the design was done and you all kept it. None of that seems, and it doesn't matter how many times you scream at some of these people that you this, this is what's being achieved. It's not recognised because a lot of them work with major publishers who everything is done for them. So they see it as the, only the writing that matters. And with this, um, that there's a much more goes into these books than than that, and um, a, lack of, a lack of recognition. I think picking up on what Rebecca was saying before, it's like the, the punk isn't just music. It's uh, there's there's it's a whole it's an ethos. There's a there's a there's a lifestyle. There's an ethos. There's an aesthetic, um, and we're bringing that that kind of DIY approach to the academic book market, um, which. For better or for worse, uh, to a certain extent, we're selling our soul because we're going to an academic publisher who actually are really good. They're a very small publisher who have got good links uh, so they can get the marketing out there. So I've, I do see it a bit like working with Rough Trade or uh, or one of the great, one of the big independent labels and distributors. I think they're great from that point of view. But we come along and say, well, but we, we're still retaining control of this, which is a very punk thing to do. I've been doing that kind of thing since I was 15 years old and saying, well, I want to make my own record. I want to design my own records. Yeah. I want to do it myself, uh, and I can't do everything myself. But I want people I can trust that I can work with to uh, to do the, the manufacturing or whatever it might be, or the distribution. But I'm going to retain as much control as I can uh, because that that idea of autonomy is is central to me to uh, to punk, and it has been for me for the last forty odd years because that's kind of what I grew up with and uh, as part of my life. Great, and, yeah, it's great working with someone like Simon Strange, isn't it? And and also yeah. Barry Phillips because we 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 you know they approached us and said look you know we we we'd like to get these books together, and I've kind of been working more with Simon and and Russ has been working more with Barry, and between the, the Russ and myself you know we've we've taken these books through we've we've got them peer reviewed we've read read them we've worked with both author authors in in pulling these books together so there's a hell of a lot of work that goes on before it actually goes to peer review with intellect isn't there. Yeah, and it's great just working with them as well. And um, I think what what stand, sets us aside from all of this, uh, I mean, from the majority of the academic publishing, is the um, is the peer review in the middle of all of this. That like a lot of products and a lot of DIY cultural output doesn't have a peer review in it, but that's what marks us as different because we have a, a stringent academic peer review process, so that this material gets agreed that it's substantial and of academic and intellectual value too and uh that yeah. is is um alongside of the design is is certainly something that is vitally important in in terms of maintaining a scholarship that is of a quality that is um that hopefully will be like the cccs in in 30 odd years look back upon that they dealt with some really good stuff, but at the heart of that was a rigorous academic process. That's, yeah, thanks, Gord. That's, that's a really good point. Mike runs his own uh, yeah. little uh, publisher, little publisher, I shouldn't call it that, Mike. Mike runs his own publishing house yeah. called Itchy Monkey, and we produce DIY books, and I end up designing those for Mike uh, as well. Um, but those tend to be uh, poetry books or collections of essays uh, by punks reflecting on their life or reflecting on the notion of punk. Um, but they're not academic books. They're of interest to academics, but they're not academic books. And so when Barry came along with the Yugoslavian book, we said, well, we could do this with Itchy Monkey. We could do this DIY book for the kind of the, uh, the underground punk market, or we could take it to the academic publisher. 
it could it could fit either of those things. As it, I think it will get better distribution through uh, through our global punk imprint. But it is that interesting thing that Gould's is right. I think there is an academic rigor and a peer peer review process which we don't need to do for Itchy Monkey books, but we do need to do for these books. And we're trying to segregate separate those two things out, saying this is good. There's quality to these things. They're not just a DIY punk book that we're bunging out there through uh, through through the academic marketplace. They are they have got value. Uh, well, the longitudinal, the crash reflection, my crash reflections books now it's in its third edition, you know it's steaming off the shelves again, and we're writing a book on nonsense for Itchy Monkey, you know, <laughs> which kind of lampoons the kind of academic writing process, yeah. Yeah. but also brings in lots of absurdist recycled art. Yeah. So it's about kind of, you know, punk's always been about sticking two fingers up at boundaries and rules. And that's what we're about in certain ways, but that's much more itchy monkey than the book series. Yeah. But we can't see these things so much as separate. It's what we do in in beyond the book series as well, mm. or the journal and PSN yeah. and blah blah. And it seems like you're also able to get things out with what you're doing much more in a much quick quickly right like or a a faster pace than sometimes if you are just letting um the publisher do all the work sometimes yeah. that take right you know it's like okay we've got this together it's going to come out in a year or two years and it seems that you're able to um find what you want to put together and be like we're going to get this out and we're going to do this and we're not waiting five years for it well, i think yeah i think out. one of the, be- the benefit we have is we've got a great publisher and i will you know put uh, a thumbs up again for intellect i know them because i've i've uh, been editing the the punk, punk post punk journal for 10 years now um they are risk takers they're a small uh, small publisher uh, in bristol in the uk but they've got distribution in, in the states through university of chicago press and um they started as in a back room of a, of a bedsit um, doing a computer science journal. There wasn't one in the marketplace. So they, they launched a computer computer um, uh, artificial intelligence journal 20-odd um, years ago. And uh, that took off. And then they started from there uh, saying, well, how do we invest in potential new disciplines or new areas of research, which are, there isn't a journal for yet? Um, and they're, they're risk takers. They, we, we approached them in 2012. I did with some previous colleagues. And said, "Can we do a journal of punk and post-punk?" And they suggested, and that was unheard of. There was no no publisher would touch that at that time. And they said, "Well, yeah, let's try it. Let's try a journal of punk and post-punk." And uh, and they are really willing to say, "Well, you're the experts. You bring the content to us. And if you think it's you've peer reviewed, you've you've gone through a process, and you think this has got value, then we'll trust you, and we will put our side into it. So we've got our DIY mark, our head hats on, and they've got their business head, heads on. So." We'll see. We'll, we'll try this and we'll do this book. So we'll do this book series and we hope we can sell some copies of it. But they're not in it. They're not looking at it from the point of view of a major capitalist. Is, you know, is there an investment here? And they're also allowing us to come to them with our enthusiasm and our, um, our energy to say we want to do this and turn it around relatively quickly. The journal comes out three times a year and... Um, and I'm working about a year ahead at the moment on the journal because it's just full all the time uh, with new content. And then from that, we got the, we get the connections to bring in content to the books as well, which has been fantastic. It's really rich. And of course, but I think the publisher. I've got, yeah, we've got to, we've got to give praise to the publisher for yeah. being so flexible to allow us that that a level of control, which I think is very unusual. I've not come across that with publishers before. I've published several books with several publishers, and it's largely been difficult. But uh, but this has been completely different and also what happens is because we're, we're kind of we've got that control of every single part of the process it means that when we get um stuff back from authors to change parts of the text you know corrections it means that you know Ross just gets on and he does them and if, if we need to get peer review because we're in constant contact with each other you know the punk punk pedagogy came through peer review well i know where that's going to go that's going to go there um Russ is already sorting out Barry's book. I'm in conversation with with Simon Strange about getting his book and and getting that peer reviewed, and so we're we're working all the time, all hours really, to tr- to try to get this stuff done. And then and then when it comes around to actually designing it, yeah, Russ is just right. I'm going to get this designed. Um, 
you know, sends it over to me. I have a look at it. You know, I'm kind of proofing it all the time as well. And so, it, yeah, it really, really fastens things up, doesn't it, Russ? It does. I think that, I think that yeah, what publishers tend to work with, um, either they're in, in-house or external production managers and uh, pre-proof art workers, etc. Mm. And there's always a delay on those things. They, they say, oh, the turnaround from the stage one proof to stage two proof, they, give, they would give a designer, say, a month to do that. And I normally do it in about a day. Um, because I'm on it and it's my baby, my project, it's our project, it's what we're working on. So I'm happy to take that on. I can turn that around and get it back. I'm not in a queue with other design jobs from from a design agency. I'm, I'm able to act quite quickly and independently. Um, so I think, they, I think there's some benefits from that. So we've been, Ray, we've been talking for a while. I probably could talk to you forever. But um, <laughs> what do you... I'm trying to think of the best way to ask this. Like, what do you want to, or what do you think we we've talked sort of about what you have coming out, what you have out, but like, do you see, um, what do you envision maybe for sort of punk and punk scholarship within the next few years? Um, right. Do you have the, and maybe, maybe there isn't anything that you're like, we would love to see this happen. But I, you know, I'm wondering if there's something you'd really love to see or love to see more of um, as we think about punk as like, as scholarship, right? Like punk scholarship and in this sort of being in an academic space, right? I think for me, um, I've got kind of, I'm very lucky in the sense that my institution, Middlesex University, really supports me in this and they recognise the, the work that I put in it. Um, we're in our eighth annual um, conference for the PSN. The ninth next year, this year is in, held in France. Next year, the key event is held in the Netherlands. And then for PSN 10, there is a plan for Russ and myself to hold it in London. And I think that's for me is to get to that, that PSN 10. Right. And also... Um, if we talk about kind of little projects as well, I see the kind of the punk reader as, as my little baby, really. I'd like to see that continue. And especially with kind of putting up on whatever Ed Avery's doing is really continuing to um, put upon different methodologies into punk. And I don't mean that in just looking at modern punk scenes, I think we've got to keep going back. And I think that kind of methodology needs to still go back and study the punk in the 1970s and punk onwards. So, and I think that's really what's good with the, with the book series is that, you know, yeah, with, with Barry Phillips' book, it goes back to the 1980s, you know, with, with Marie Scov's book, we're going back to the 1970s again and Simon Strange, but we're going back to the 1970s. It's inclusive. We include everyone in that. And that that includes those th- those old punks, older punks. Sorry, Russ, because um, I'm only a, a mere lad. Um, it's not well. But um, yeah, you know, um, that that still, you know, it's inclusive. We include everything. I think that's that's the key thing is that we there's there's the we could we could just try and keep track of contemporary punk scenes. So Mike's Mike and Gore's original idea was what's happening now, what's post two thousand, what's happening now. How do we document that as a series of books? And that could be an is an ongoing series of books. What's happening around the world? What what's the story from uh, from Southern Europe? What's the story from Southeast Asia? What's the story from India and Pakistan uh, or the Soviet Union? What could we do to sort of to bit to build those? Uh, contemporary um, uh, observations of those those scenes around the world, but there's also other ways of looking at the history. And I'm kind of you know, I'm a I'm a designer, I'm a design writer and design historian, um, and a, to a certain extent a punk historian. And I want to be able to go back to those 1970s stories and, and move away from the histories that have been written and say, well, what other ways are there of looking at that stuff? I want to I I, I want to see the economics of 1970s punk i want to see you know how it was facilitated and supported by venues by labels by managers by um bar owners uh you know what was the economics behind it how do those things fit together i'm really interested in the, you know, the stories that haven't been told 
of 70s punk, not just the ones, not just repeating the ones that have been uh, told over and over again. Everybody knows the story of the Ramones or the Sex Pistols. Much as I love the Ramones and the Sex Pistols, I've, you know, I want to know, okay, there's other stories to be told even about them, other, other ways of interrogating what they did. And that those those to me are still fascinating. I still want to want to be able to look back because I'm one of the old punks rather than that Mike there, describes. There are also like current opportunities with with Mester Lydon touring England right now. Yeah, with his, but there's a prime opportunity to do ethnography with that, to go to a few and to to take notes and to listen to what he said because the discussion of the Sex Pistols doesn't finish when with with their breakup. You know, it's the way that that term is used. The band is used by the members and the disagreements that happen and get recycled and reused up to now. I mean, I don't know where Lydon is tonight doing his routine, but he's going to be somewhere. And that means we're not, we've got to kind of, we're going back nearly 50 years now to the start of all of that. And that's so, so important. I mean, for me, um, my t- my kind of date with punk scholarship is sadly coming to an end. I'm not hugely interested now. Um, I mean, I started, I was one of the first in punk scholarship back in 95, you know, and then me and Russ were, and my, I think Mike were at the punk conference in 2001 at, at Wolverhampton, which was interesting. But what we've got now are like, intellectual developments alongside the work of Mark Fisher and hauntology in the way that the past is used in the present and and the kind of return to imaginary pasts and all that kind of stuff. That's where I am. um, And that's what I want to see with the punk scholarship. And uh, I'm much more interested in doing a lot more art and publishing my PhD, which seems to be waiting 15 years to come out, but I want to go into new directions now because I don't do music live anymore, um, and I'm not so much involved in the scene, and um, that's what I would like to to do anyway with it, you know. Could, Could I just quickly say as well, I know we're right at the end, that the Punk Scholars Network and the Global Punk Series and what we do would also not be possible we've we've got paula got russ we've got gourds but there's also um laura way who organized the first punk scholars or um conference with myself um who's going to be talking over in the netherlands for um in december for the for psn8 there's francis stewart that does some really good stuff on straight edge and religion matt grimes has put a hell of a lot of work in to yeah. this, as well as General Secretary of the PSN, and Pete Dale. Okay. Pete Dale organized, has been organising each conference as well. And I just want to get their names out there as well, because... Right, so really creating this sort of DIY network, right? And mm. and making it happen, which is, which is what you need to, when you're trying to do kind of um, multi or an interdisciplinary work, it's how it has to, if you want that to happen, you've got to sort of find the people and find the, and, and create that yourself. Right. So like I said, I could probably talk forever, but, but it's been really wonderful. So this was Russ Besley, Mike Dines, Gord, and Paula Guerra, who are, um, who have compiled the punk reader and the punk reader series that can be found at intellect books and, so you call the latest one, which is what's the one coming right out? The one coming up is Punk Identities, Punk Utopias, um, Global Punk and Media, and another one called Punk Las Americas, uh, which is uh, uh, which is lar- largely South American um, uh, edition. They're, they're both due out around about November. And if you want right now, you can get the Punk Reader and the Trans Global Punk Scenes, which is volume two of the Punk yeah. Reader. Again, thank you all for talking with me for New Books Network, New Books and Popular Culture. Right. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks.